you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have some pretty wild and perhaps even unwelcome messages from St. Paul and Jesus this morning. We have messages about being uncomfortable and we have messages about being vulnerable. Neither of those things are our favorite things as humans. St. Paul, who has some thorn in his flesh, we don't know what, though there's been much speculation about what that is, begs God to take it away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, he says, for my power is known through weakness. And Paul accepts that and says, when I am weak, then I am strong. We are strong only because of God's grace and God's power, not because of anything that we do. And then Jesus tells his disciples today, after he has gone to his hometown and been denigrated by the people in the neighborhood who say, I know that guy, he's not such a big deal. And then he can't do any, any acts of power because no one believes in him. And so Jesus sort of leaves them and says to his disciples, it's time for you to go out two by two, relying on no one but one another and on God, God's self. Don't take any bread. Don't take any money. Don't even take an extra shirt. Don't even take a bag with which to beg. But go out and spread the word, trusting God to support you and to carry you. Be absolutely vulnerable to those who host you. Well, there's nothing about these messages we love, right? I mean, we like to be comfortable in our homes where the things are known. We like to think that we're in charge, that we're smart enough, good enough, work hard enough, have enough money to make things happen. And I think Episcopalians especially do not resonate with either of these messages. <laughs> we like to be comfortable, right? We love our beautiful buildings, and we have them, and aren't we so lucky? And who wants to leave this beautiful place to go out? Not me. Who wants to leave behind our gorgeous music to go out and find out what the people are singing in the streets? Not so much me. Who wants to leave our beautiful worship and our liturgy behind? None of us, probably. And you know, we are the most highly educated Christian denomination. We are very smart people, we're very sophisticated, and so we like to rely on ourselves, right? We're smart enough to get things done. Our per capita income's pretty high. We have been presidents and senators and in charge of powerful corporations in the United States. We don't need great God's grace so much, right? We can do it. And yet that's what St. Paul and Jesus are calling us to. Get uncomfortable. Go out. Be vulnerable. Well, I have to tell you, having just come home from our 78th General Convention of the Episcopal Church, I think we're starting to get the message. I think the Episcopal Church is heading towards going out, being uncomfortable, being vulnerable even. So I want to tell you a little bit about that general convention. I disappeared for two weeks 
and I went to Salt Lake City where it was 100 degrees every day. And I gathered with a bunch of Episcopalians from around the entire church, which by the way is not just the United States, but the Convocation of Churches in Europe and Haiti, um, lots of countries in Central America. And we all gathered in Salt Lake City at a massive, massive uh, conference center to do our work. And in case you don't know, our governance looks a lot like the United States government because when we were forming, our country was forming, and the same guys who were writing the Constitution of the United States were writing the Constitution and canons of the Episcopal Church. So we govern ourselves in a very democratic way. We have a bicameral house, that means two houses. We've got the House of Deputies, which is like our House of Representatives. It's the big house with all the priests, deacons, and lay people in it. We had nearly 900 people in that house. And then you've got the House of Bishops, that's like the Senate. And there are about 174 of those folks um, at this general convention. And leading up to convention, people write a lot of legislation, resolutions for us to consider during our time together. There were 300, I think over 360 pieces of legislation to come through general convention, which is insane. Um, so we had a lot to think about, lots of resolutions to consider. And the way it works is that uh, we had hearings for them. So even though the general convention was nine days long, that's a lie, we started two days early with hearings, and you would go to say a hearing with the governance and structure group, or the hearing with the, with, uh, the standing commission on liturgy and music, or the hearing on the environment. And you would listen to the resolutions, and we would argue about them, and people would give testimony, and they'd recraft the resolutions, and then they'd send them to either the House of Deputies or the House of Bishops, and then we would follow all Robert's rules of orders and parliamentary procedure and argue about them. And then we would send them to the other house to be considered. Um, and they have to pass in exactly the same language. So there's a lot of horse trading going on. There's a lot of figuring out how to make this stuff happen. I learned a lot about government over the past two weeks. So we worked really hard. I want you to know that. We, even though we were only about 1,000 people in the two houses, there were probably Brendan, 5,000 total, 10,000 total, 10,000? Five, 5,000 people there at the, at the general convention, exhibitors and people who had interests in various groups. Um, and we started at 7.30 in the morning with hearings and then we would have worship at 9.30, which was amazing. It was the first time I've ever been in a mega church, you know, to have 3,000 people worshiping at once. That doesn't happen often for Episcopalians. And then we would have legislative sessions all day and then we would have more hearings at night and more meetings at night. So it was a stiff schedule, but it was wonderful. So let me tell you what happened. A lot of stuff happened, obviously, with 360 pieces of, res of resolutions, but here are the five things that I want you to know that happened. Um, the first thing I want you to know before I tell you about those five is that Episcopalians have spent a, long, a lot of years fighting. Some of you know that. We've fought over women's ordination and a new Book of Common Prayer and ordaining um, GLBT people or whether we ought to marry all couples. This convention had the sweetest spirit. People were kind. People who disagreed prayed with and for one another. People who disagreed with things that got passed said that they were not going to leave that they were gonna stay with their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a huge thing and says a lot about where we're headed. We're not gonna, we're not gonna fight. 
we're gonna love, and we're gonna figure out how to stay together. That's a beautiful thing. So five things that happen that I think are all about being uncomfortable and about being vulnerable. So one of the things we did, and something dear to my heart, is that we agreed to divest from fossil fuels in, all, in our endowments. That is a bold and prophetic move. It's a little scary because it will have consequences for us financially, um, but it's the right thing to do. It's the, one of the major moral questions of our time. There's a lot of fighting about that because it turns out the Episcopal Church has a lot of money. Not here at All Saints, but up there. <laughs> Um, now, CPG, our church pension group, managed in the last minute uh, bid with the House of Bishops to get themselves out of that deal. So we're not perfect, but we're at least willing to make some hard decisions. Secondly, um, we pass a really large budget, a uh, huge budget. And you know how hard it is to design those things for your, your house, for your church. Imagine for the entire Episcopal Church. It takes months and months of work, and then people work right up to the moment of passing the budget um, to figure out who, which agencies get which money, and so on and so forth. Those things are almost never changed at the last minute. So it passed the House of Bishops, and it came to the House of Deputies. And we, in a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant um, maneuver, partly headed by our own Brendan O'Sullivan Hale here, arranged to kind of like pack the microphones, there are like 10 of them, and to um, push through and convince the House of Deputies that we needed to put aside $2.8 million for planting churches. And in order to do that, we took an extra 0.5% from our endowments, draw on our endowments. Again, this is very scary for Episcopalians. Oh, you're gonna mess with our endowments. But it was, we argued that if we are going to be evangelists, if we're going to go, if we're going to get out there into the world, we need to fund that. So we have been planting more churches in the last three years, and we are going to plant a whole bunch more in the upcoming years. Friends, that's Jesus' work. That's what we need to be doing. And we took another little financial risk. And trust me, given our budget, it's not a huge financial risk, but it's one we did need to take. Then... We did some really risky stuff for Episcopalians. We agreed to put together two task forces, one on the prayer book and one on the hymnal. They're not changing them in the next three years, but they're going to study what it would look like to think about changing them. <laughs> Those changes take a long time, actually, because you have to have two conventions to agree to changes to the prayer book. So we are many years away from a change, but our last prayer book is from 1979. Um, and it's time to think through whether our worship and our language is the right worship and language to be talking to the folks in the world, not just ourselves, not just the way we've always done it. And the same thing with our music. Is there a way that our music can speak and sing a new song for the world? And then the last two things are things that you've all probably already heard about. So on last Friday, as you all know, um, the Supreme Court changed marriage forever to say that all people, all couples may get married. We have marriage equality now. And there was like a ripple that went through the, through the conference center. You could hear people in all their individual hearing rooms get the news and just, you know, cheers went up. And then a few days later, we did the same in the Episcopal Church. We decided that all people could be, have the sacrament of marriage 
Now that might not sound huge here at All Saints where we've been blessing folks since the late 70s, but this is saying that we actually can marry people. I can sign a marriage license and um, we can use any of the authorized liturgies for marriage, including from the 1979 prayer book. We have a liturgy out there that has gender neutral language now um, and doesn't talk about wife and husband. That's a big change. We don't change our prayer book lightly. It's trial use right now, but um, Advent 1, we can start doing that. That's a pretty beautiful thing. And one of the things that was beautiful about it for us who were there was not just that we decided that, but how we decided it. Each time we took a vote, because we had to vote both on changing the worship, but also changing our constitution to allow us to do this, someone called for prayer. And we had an amazing chaplain who led us in prayer before we voted. And it felt really like a holy moment each time we prayed. Um, I know for, you know, in our deputation, all eight of us voted for on both of those things. That was easy for us. But I have friends in other dioceses for whom it wasn't easy. They didn't all agree. Um, they have to go home together now and figure out how to live into this. But from now on, marriage will be available to all people. Um, and I will say also, I got to sit in the House of Bishops for a few moments during that day because our, our sessions weren't totally concurrent. And um, even the bishops, I mean, they were just lovely with each other. Even they stood up to disagree with each other and they did it in this spirit of generosity and love that was really something to behold. So again, we're making ourselves vulnerable to each other instead of taking sides and fighting and deciding, you know, I'm going to win, we're making ourselves vulnerable. And then the last thing is that we elected a new presiding bishop, and it was amazing. Last Saturday, we were all worshiping together, and at the end of Mass, we sang as the bishops all stood up and left because the bishops go to elect the presiding bishop, the House of Deputies confirms. So if you can imagine a few thousand people in a room singing a cappella as the bishops in their purple all stood up and marched out of the, out of the hall where we were having mass, they got onto buses and were taken down to the cathedral where I believe they were locked in. And um, they did a roll call where they called every single bishop, all 500 of them, they were not all there, of course, to see who was there. Um, and then they took the vote. Now I have to tell you, we had gotten to hear from all of the candidates, all four of them, a few days earlier uh, for about four hours. And we all, I think there was a sense that no matter who was elected, we were gonna be lucky. They were all wonderful and faithful men. P.S., they were all men. Uh, <laughs> Another topic. Um, but my understanding is that when the bishops voted, that on the first vote, they elected Bishop Michael Curry of North Carolina. And when they came out and announced that, that the bishops all stood up and clapped, I mean, just wild applause for like five minutes. I mean, people were just ecstatic. And we have not elected, we're not sure if we've ever elected a bishop on a first ballot. Um, we may have back in 1947, but I think that says a lot about the mind of the church, that Bishop Curry is the, is the presiding bishop we need right now. Um, 
he won by a landslide. All the other guys who are lovely men, um, you know, had about the same amount of votes, around 20. So we have a new presiding bishop who is, as people are calling him, our presiding bishop for evangelism. Bishop Curry is not going to let us sit comfortably in our pews. He is going to tell us to go out. He is going to have us take risks. It's one of the reasons why we were able to amend that budget for evangelism that everyone was saying, you can't elect Michael Curry as your new presiding bishop and not make some changes. And given the year that we've had in the United States around race and racism, he is certainly the right person to lead us. Given that we have finished years of squabbles and um, interdenominational fights, when we've had the right presiding bishops who are very calm and could make peace, we're done with that. We're ready for a new phase. And now we've got this, this exuberant uh, evangelist and wonderful preacher. If you haven't heard him preach, you're going to want to do that. And he encouraged us in a couple ways. He said over and over again that we have got to, we've got to stop fishing where there are no fish. Right? Remember when Jesus tells Peter to put the nets on the other side of the boat? He said to us, we need to go where the fish are. We need to go out. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing something to make that noise. Uh, we need to go out and go to the people and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That he was saying that we live in a nightmare world where we have created poverty and racism and wars and all kinds of nightmares, but we've got a dream to share, God's dream, and that we have a duty to go out and share that dream. And then in his final, and he preached on our last day, and his main message was go. Go, go, go out those doors. So um, we have our marching orders from our new presiding bishop, and I hope that all of us are going to consider how we can get deeply uncomfortable, how we can go, how we can be vulnerable, not taking a bag or an extra shirt or even bread. How will we at All Saints live into that way of being Christian, relying on God's grace, trusting that God will take us where we need to go?